Thank you for joining us in Season 2 of the Religion Podcast, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion. Joel, good afternoon. Yeah, Happy New Year, dude. We are back. Oh, you too, man. It's been a long time. <laughs> it has. I Boy, um, who knows? How was December for y'all down there in the Georgia and Ocovid County? <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> uh, it feels like two years ago already. I don't know. It was good. It was good. It was a warm Christmas. I think it, it was like 70 degrees that day. It was crazy. Um but, you know, as you know, Hanukkah was earlier in, in December, so that, that passed a while ago. But uh, the month of December was fine. Uh, I, I actually took a two-week vacation uh, that just ended today. So uh, some of that was just spent at home reading and being with my son and things like that. And, uh, yeah, what about you? I was not on Christmas Eve, right? So we had Advent, 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 and then Christmas Eve, and then the Sunday after Christmas, and then the first Sunday of the new year, January 2nd. So I did take some time off in there and uh, between the first Sunday of Christmas and the second Sunday of Christmas, but I had three things to do, plan for worship and write a sermon and something else. So, you know, it was a, it was like half days for four days or five days in a row. But you now it's new year, and New season and looking forward. Today we get to wrap up, then finish season two and introduce season three. Um, and wonder what, uh, if we have any other time in there, what the Christian Jewish version of holidays did, uh, what it felt like this year um, for our mm. congregations and for us. I would say let's let's kind of close out season two and what we did those dozen or so episodes. Um, and I know it's been a little disjointed because of holidays and vacation plans and whatnot, but I keep thinking about what we did or certainly what we tried to do, you know, but very probably some more <laughs> successfully than others. Um, but recognizing that stories and text from our traditions are so much more than what, first of all, is commonly known or certainly, you know, commonly taught. I think about like what's taught to our kids or teens in, in Sunday school. But even as adults, they're just parts of the story that we don't know were there. And then you read the Torah portion, you read the Bible, and it's like, oh my goodness. And so like one that we didn't cover, because there's, <laughs> as we both know, many of them, um, you know, everybody knows the story of Noah's Ark, right? I mean, you, you don't, of course, I don't literally mean everybody, but one doesn't need to be religious or practicing to know the story of Noah's Ark. And you could ask most people what the story is, and they'd get like the first 80% right. And then they would totally forget about the end where, you know, Noah's now on dry land after 40 days and gets rip-roaringly drunk and possibly has sex with his children because... He's so traumatized. Uh, so it, it, even though we didn't cover that story, I think what we did do is bring attention to the fact that there are texts in our traditions that require some s serious grappling 
especially if we're not going to go the easy way out, which is, some, in my opinion, somewhat of a fundamentalist way of, well, this is what it says, that's what it means, that's it. Um, and so for me, both as a, as a Jew and also as the host of this podcast, or co-host of this podcast, it is just kind of bringing attention to that subtlety and the need for, of attention that those stories deserve. Yeah, thanks. I, I've been trying to figure out that same thing. Like, how, how have you and I, in all these tough texts we've been talking about, holy cow, like, I, I, now that you say that, I remember the daughters come in and uncover dad, right? <laughs> right? You know, like, yikes. But that is not in the children's Bibles that we pass around. Um, <laughs> so, And by um, the way, nor should it be. Right, I'm not nice. suggesting it should be, but yeah. I, w- I have this class that I'm teaching. Uh, it's called Grandmothers, what my grandmothers taught me. And it's the genealogy of Jesus. And one of the Gospels includes some women and includes Tamar and Rahab and Ruth. And these, are, <laughs> these women have some interesting backstories. So I'm sitting with these much older women, and we're talking about Ruth, where she goes and lays down beside Boaz and uncovers his, quote, feet. And I have to explain to them, by the way, when it says feet, it doesn't mean foot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and they're like, exactly. what do you mean? And I'm like, well, that's, that is translators trying to keep you from squirming too much. They, she obviously took his pants off. Um, and she, they're like, oh, no, that's not what it says. But, but how do you help somebody with a tough text like that? realize, okay, don't take it literally, right? Don't just read it. It says it, therefore I have to believe it. Don't ignore it. Like, well, if it says that, it can't be right and throw it out. And don't walk around it. Like, there's got to be a way to cover the text and understand the, the history and the context and the authors and the time period and all that, and to take it seriously, not take it literally, and look for some nugget of truth about who God is and what God's doing in this world and what God wants from us. And the only other thing I'll add, which for me is is really important, is, and I don't know who first said this quote or who it's attributed to, but the idea of, you know, we don't read things as they are, we read things as we are. Hmm. And so when we grapple with these difficult texts and create... Um, or, or find truth, you're, what you just said, or different interpretations, inevitably we can't help but put our own persona on top of those. And, and that's just an important thing to recognize, I think. Great. Yeah. When I'm doing Bible study or theology classes with folk, I tell everybody, look, you're not coming here as a, a theological novice. You have already in you just as much theology and Bible assumption as and knowledge as I do. Um, what we're going to do together is try to unpack the stuff we bring to the table that makes the text awkward for us. And then we're going to negotiate that. And maybe we find something in the text that's new or different or unexpected. If so, that's probably because of what we brought with us more than it is in the text. And and the rule of being one of these believers who has a sacred text is the text wins. <laughs> you know, you don't get to impose on the text what you wanted it to say. 
You don't get to impose on it a theology about God that you prefer. You have to let the text itself change you. So really when we're reading the Bible in a Bible study or we're doing a theological conversation around Scripture, as you suggest, it's reading us way more than we're reading it. Yeah. I, I'm i um, pumped that we covered all those tough texts, though, and God, there's still a hundred more that we didn't touch. For sure. And, you know, tough text and difficult text, too, you know, maybe we should have said this in our first episode. Maybe we did. It was so long ago. <laughs> Is that doesn't mean they um, shouldn't be in the Bible or that they're not difficult in the same way, oh, I have a difficulty I'm dealing with and I wish that difficulty wasn't there. They're, they're difficult because they require us to be fully present with them and to wrestle with who we are versus what the text said for its time and all those sorts of things. But they're not, you know, they're not blemishes necessarily. It's not like I wish they weren't there. Some of them I wish they weren't there, but as a whole, it, you know, in, certainly in Judaism, the, the beauty of the existence of these sorts of texts is that it then requires the wrestling. We talked about how, you know, wrestling with God as the, the namesake of Israel. And so it requires that kind of immersion and getting into the muck of it. And you can't, if something's super easy to understand, it's like there's, you know, there's no fun in that. <laughs> Yeah. I think it's why when people are at their most desperate stage of life, when they're on the run, when they're in trouble, when they're being oppressed, when things are hard, Scripture has beautiful comfort to it, despite the tough texts. And it's it, it explains why when the people of Israel were in their biggest trouble, they just collected the texts and brought them all together and s- sewed them together and wove them together. And all that weird stuff stayed in there because that wasn't the point. It wasn't the little microtext in the middle of the big thematic picture of God's salvation and God's promise, right? When you're when you're desperate, the grand theme of hope and love is beautiful, and the little stuff you don't have to worry and negotiate about. I I sometimes worry that the tougher texts are a sign of privilege, that only those who have power and privilege bother negotiating whether this text really means that about and and I hope you and I kind of avoided that possibility when we were lifting up text to try to say no this text has redeeming quality for all people and and try to read it um, from our privileged chairs but not through our privileged chairs yeah I like that distinction I'm glad you I'm glad you named that I don't know that I would have thought of that that's uh, I, I think there there's something to that for sure So what's next? Well, Hanukkah and Christmas. Like, um, so, you know, I guess you've seen the certain politicians have a, think there's a war on Christmas, man. Um, and he they go around now saying, Merry Christmas, with a grumpy is it, face. Is it obnoxious if I say Jesus Christ to that? Because it probably is. <laughs> that is offensive, actually, isn't it? That's I hilarious. But man, it pisses me off. And it doesn't piss me off as a Jew. It pisses me off as a person because I know it pisses you off and you are a Christian. I, if you're saying it in a way that has force and power and anger and vengeance, you miss the point. And those words are basically breaking the third commandment <laughs> uh, to me. Well, uh, and... Y- 
Yeah, and you know, the whole, there's a lot to say. And, you know, you and I could do a, almost a two hour kind of webinar. I mean, it, it would be fun to do something like this on, you know, the intersectionality of religion and secularism in, in that, you know, Christmas is an American holiday. And to an extent, I do celebrate Christmas. And I will argue that I do celebrate Christmas. I just don't celebrate it as a Christian. And I'm not saying that tongue-in-cheek, by the way. I'm being completely serious. Sure. I celebrate it, as many Jews do, by having Chinese food and watching a movie. That's, like, become <laughs> a cultural tradition for many Jews on Christmas or Christmas Eve. Um, and, you know, it's unless it's on Friday, in which case I'm working because it's Shabbat, it's a vacation day. So in the same way that I celebrate July 4th, I celebrate Christmas. Um, but this, but as a religious holiday, you know, in the same way that I'm not going to impose the fast of Yom Kippur upon you and say, oh, there's a war on Yom Kippur because you as a non-Jew, I mean, it sounds so absolutely ridiculous if you substitute any other holiday for Christmas. And yet, the, and yet people take this seriously that there's a quote-unquote war on Christmas on. I think what people are trying to do is understand the diversity of religious beliefs we have in this country while also understanding that Christmas is a secular holiday. But it's not a, you know, no one's trying to take Christmas away. And certainly as a religion... I, I, I have the utmost respect for people who celebrate Christmas religiously, just as I do people, Jews, who celebrate Hanukkah religiously and not just secularly, which is also a thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, Ugh. we have some friends here, and she's from a Jewish family, um, and he's from a Methodist family. But they're married, and they don't really practice either one. And they went out on the solstice with some friends, you know, to— to do a, a special kind of event. And I just thought that is so cool, right? For the, the Jewish and the Christian to go out and celebrate solstice. It's like a Dar Williams song embodied in real life. <laughs> wow, that is a good call. I like that. It was awesome. Yeah. Did you recently see her? That yes, we great... did see her in concert. Okay. Yeah, she, yeah, she came <laughs> I was to say, one of the Because you just places. picked that one out. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Now, did your oil slash candles last uh, all the days they are they needed to, or did you have one, any run out? <laughs> no, they did, but that's because we have forty four of them. Ah, because that's how many candles. I always like to ask that as a trivia question. During the eight days of Hanukkah, you need forty four candles total. Uh, <laughs> nine plus eight plus seven plus six, all the way down to two. Oh, dang it! Because there's always that helper candle. So even on the first night. You like the helper candle, and then the first candle. So it's two the first night, three the second night, and so on. I see. Um, but yeah, it's you know it's interesting when Hanukkah is completely separate from Christmas, and it's interesting when Hanukkah and Christmas overlap. But um, but it wasn't it wasn't nice Hanukkah. We did a, a lighting in our parking lot. Um, and do y'all do like the solar powered <laughs> lanterns out on the lawn? You know, to make a so it's funny because. Um, you know, like in dorm rooms, a lot of dorm rooms prohibit fire, so you can't light matches, and so a lot of people have like electric menorahs. But it, as it with other things, um, you know, the law, so to speak, is to light candles, and so people who are observant, um, it, they have to find a way to actually light candles um, and not, you know, break the law of wherever they are. But uh, yes, th there are definitely uh, electronic menorahs and all sorts of things like that. 
And has the holiday of Hanukkah been around forever? Or when when did it become part of the standard tradition? Yeah, no. And one thing that, um, you know, we call it a minor holiday. And it, it's a technical term. It doesn't mean that it's not important. It's because it's not in the Torah. You know, the Torah does have some holidays. Passover is in the Torah. Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are in the Torah. Um, the, uh, you know, the story of the Maccabees and Hanukkah took place in, uh, you know, the, just around the, the first century. You know, the, what do you call a mo- first millennium? Yeah. And, you know, 70 to 90. Exactly. Yeah, CE. Exactly. Just after the destruction of the temple. So, um, which was in 70. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's in, in many ways, it's a later holiday. Purim also is a later holiday. Yeah. How was your Christmas? Like, it was fine. Yeah. I mean, we, we got a real tree again and put it up and, you know, lit it. And we had all three boys home. So that was kind of cool. And uh, oh, to see three awesome. grown boys. Yeah. Uh, you know, who but are. But you also had to work. Uh, yeah. And that was fine. <laughs> that's fine. Yeah, was it? When Christmas and Hanukkah overlap for me, it's, it's kind of cool because we're lighting an advent wreath. Right, which has five candles in it, um, and we have one for the first Sunday of Advent. There's four Sundays before Christmas called Advent when when something we are anticipating something that is coming toward us, um, which I, that's how I try to say it. And we light a candle for hope, peace, joy, and love, and they're purple, purple, pink, purple. And then on Christmas Eve, we light the Christ candle in the middle. And I love thinking of the overlap between the way y'all have like four, four, and one kind of elevated usually, and we have four and one. I, I kind of love the symmetry of that between Always the, the engineer, Joel. Yeah, and, and between the menorah and the advent wreath. Um, and I'll often try to imagine some way to not um, not force the menorah into a Christian service, but to nod toward what our brothers and sisters are doing in a similar way. Um, and I, I oh, don't know if other cool. people have caught that. And um, practic- practical question, how was Christmas at your church dealing with COVID again? Um, I, there were some questions that hopped around between the Unitarian Universalist, the Episcopalian, one of the Methodists, hey, are y'all doing anything different because of COVID? And uh the session here just they didn't make any changes, so we kept going forward. Always masked whenever we were inside with one another, um, and we just we went through them. So we had the four o'clock children's, the eight o'clock traditional, the eleven o'clock candlelight and communion. Um, it was lovely. Uh, we had little ones at the four o'clock, and some of them are so little we know they're not vaccinated. And they're also little enough where putting a mask on and leaving it on is almost impossible, right? They yeah. they hear mom or dad or grandma or granddad tell them wear that, but they just can't. I, and it, and you got to make room for them. So everybody else is masked so that they can be safe. That's great. Food? <laughs> no, we didn't do food yeah. on Christmas Eve at all. We uh, handed we made cookies at a, at someone's home and bagged them and oh. put a oh, sticker on nice. them and then handed those out as you went out the door. That's what we did. Um, we probably talked about this, but on Rosh Hashanah, uh, someone helped slice up apples and we gave them in a Ziploc bag. It's still not the same as the literal, I'll use, I'll use a word for both of us, communion, <laughs> you know, communing with one another, different kind of communion then. But um, yeah, I mean, that, it's, it's a big thing that we are very much missing. Mm-hmm. 
Well, it's, it is the week of January 6th, by the way, is a really big Christian holiday. It's a, I guess you'd call it a minor holiday, um, but it's called Epiphany, um, when the star and the wise ones came to the manger. And it, when we say 12 days of Christmas, what we mean is from Christmas Day, the 25th, to 12 days after that, to Epiphany, those are the 12 days of Christmas. And it's such a, a shocker to me now to have my Christian holiday of Epiphany always land on Insurrection Day. <laughs> God, I, I had a feeling you were going there. And tell me again what the, the Epiphany is or why, what happens 12 days after? Yeah, the imagination, right, of the birth is wise ones from afar saw a star and came to the manger. And Epiphany is the celebration of their arrival um, under a star. And it the Epiphany is kind of, ooh, light bulb over your head or star right. over a manger. And the revelation or the revealing, the Epiphany, the, um, what do you call it, Th- that moment where, aha, you, you sense something new and beautiful, um, the revealing of the Messiah as um, not some warrior god or king, but... Uh, a babe born to Palestinian Jewish unwed teenage kids. So is the idea that it took 12 days for them to travel? I don't like, think that, so. That... No. I, I, my guess is he was older. <laughs> There's another story in one of the other Gospels where eight days later he was... Wait, but I mean, what's the significance of 12 days? Not sure. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, there is another part of the Gospel story where eight days after his birth, he was at the temple in Jerusalem, to be circumcised and named and all that. Um, and so the qu- question is, all right, did he go back to the manger after that? And if the wise one took two or three years to show up, how did they find him? And yeah, it, you know, don't get all specific and read it literally, Eric. Otherwise, it becomes a troublesome text. <laughs> well, I was going to also link what you said, uh, if I may, uh, to what's next for us. Mm-hmm. Um, because when you started talking about Epiphany and the Star, I've been thinking a lot this week, and I've been obsessed. Uh, obsessed is too strong a word, but I've been periodically looking at the live tracker of the James Webb Telescope. Um, and uh, after it, I, I really didn't know anything about this, which makes I, I'm embarrassed for myself because I've always been a space nut. And it wasn't until after it launched that I started looking into it and watching documentaries and web videos and all these things. And just the, uh, the idea that we have a man-made object that's going to be almost 1 million miles away from Earth and possibly peering into the literal beginnings of the universe has been very much on my mind this week. And, yeah. I, you know, we're not, I don't know that we're going to talk about it right now, but there's, you know, clearly theological overlap in that. Yeah. And, um, you know, we were talking about what we're going to do next season. And so I, I, I was thinking of that. Yeah, well, let's point to that. So, yeah, the first season we introed ourselves and showed y'all kind of who we are and, and talked through some things. The last season we, we had tackled troublesome texts. In this third season, what Eric and I are imagining we'll do is um, we'll both bring one hot topic, um, and it can be from science or religion or politics or culture or who knows, but he'll bring one, I'll bring one, and we'll discuss those through our lenses and see what they do. And hopefully it keeps the, the topic before you fresh, uh, and it's something that really 
relates to what's going on in the world and gives you a couple, at least, theological lenses on which to process whatever that is. So it could be the new telescope pointing to the ends of the earth and the January 6th commission uh, or something as we look at at what's going on. And then the next week, who knows what it could be. Um, Something that a a preacher said way over there and then two guys who got in a fight on Twitter calling each other anti-Semites. Who knows, right? But if if y'all have ideas of what you want us to uh, consider hot topics, continue to send us those emails at uh, religionpodcast at gmail.com and uh, we'll look for those. And yeah, and I think the idea is very much to have things that are relevant, whether it's in the news or something we read, but something that's on our minds that week, not six months ago, not six months from now, um, although that would be interesting. <laughs> or 2,000 years uh, ago. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we're, I, I'm looking forward to doing that with you, Joel, and, uh, and hopefully keeping it fresh for all of our listeners also. I think we're well over 2,000 downloads now. Is that, That's that is, fantastic. It is amazing. Yeah, we are into the like somewhere around the 30-somethingth episode, and it's starting to happen, right? We're getting the 60 and 90 and 100 uh, downloads per episode. So um, if you are enjoying this, uh, share it with a friend. If pick out your favorite episode from the, from the recent past and forward it around. Share it on social media. If, uh, if you remember, we, we were going uh, hot right after one of the other ones, and we put it out there, uh, the January 6th original. So you can wow. pull that one up and toss it around again, listen to it again, and hear how Eric and I reflected on that as it was happening. Can you believe that was a year ago, speaking of reflecting? It feels like I, yesterday and 50 years ago at the same time. Correct, correct. It's, time is no longer relevant in this pandemic <laughs> world. I don't know what's happening, but... Yes. And we I, are snowed under up here. So, like, Jill is on her third day with no school. There's snow and ice everywhere. Oh, wow. Yeah. The roads are sanded and scraped and salted, but um, it's there's a lot of folk who still can't move around up here very well. Wowzers. Well, stay healthy, my friend. You too, buddy. And to all our religion fans out there, keep it real. And when are we starting? Did we decide? Let's make it public. Uh, I'm happy to start up next week and keep going from there. Let's start, let's start next week. Yay. Let's do so, it. right. It'll be our new year till Easter uh, season. <laughs> Maybe I'll still be thinking about the James Webb telescope. I'll <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right. Take care, y'all. Thank you for joining us on the Real Religion Podcast today, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion. I'm Reverend Joel Talbert, and on behalf of Rabbi Eric Linder and all the Real Religion fans out there, we thank you for being with us today and invite you to send us any feedback or suggestions or topic ideas to religionpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, keep it real.